Hey everyone and welcome to the Tight Ship Podcast where we are in the pursuit of operational excellence. My name is Duncan Malcolm. Do you know how some businesses just hit a brick wall in terms of growth and they just don't seem to be able to make that jump in revenue? They're stuck at the 1 million and they can't make it to the 5 or they're stuck at the 5 and can't make it to the 10 or the 25. It turns out it's very common and that there's a number of things you can do to drive your business forwards. This week's guest is one of the world's foremost experts in getting businesses beyond those glass ceilings and moving forwards. I've had to re-record this introduction so many times because I can't overstate how great it was talking to our guest and how blown away I am by his new book. This week we're talking to Vern Harnish. He chairs the Birthing of Giants Leadership Programme at MIT. He's also a best-selling author of Mastering the Rockefeller Habits. He's a venture columnist for Fortune magazine and has been recognised by Forbes as one of the top 10 minds in small business. He also founded the Entrepreneurs' Organization, which is a global network of entrepreneurs, and Gazelles, an international network of growth business coaches. This week, we're talking about his new book, Scaling Up, How a Few Companies Make It and Why the Rest Don't, Rockefeller Habits 2.0. In the interview, Vern has been really open with actionable tactics that you can use to help make your business more efficient and grow faster. In particular, we go into depth around how to make sure that everyone knows what they should be doing, And around halfway through, he reveals a great technique to empower your employees to work better and more efficiently. I hope you enjoy the interview and look forward to hearing your feedback. All right. Thanks for joining us, Vern. Um, You're the author of Scaling Up, How a Few Companies Make It and Why the Rest Don't. Um, Could you give a little introduction to yourself about your background, uh, the book and and where this has come from, uh, the Rockefeller Habits and so on? Good. Well, I uh, started in the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning business, HVAC business, uh, back when I was in uh, college. And then launched this group called ACE, Association of Collegiate Entrepreneurs, Michael Dell and Mark Cuban. And we threw a big party, in fact, for Steve Jobs when he got fired from Apple in 86. That led me then to launch YEO, now today called EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization. We're about 11,000 members worldwide. And in 91, I launched an executive program called The Birthing of Giants. And the idea was for uh, entrepreneurs who've got a million to $5 million plus businesses, what could they really do to scale up and become a giant? And it was in the process of, of driving that course at MIT for 15 years that we pulled together a bunch of tools and ideas and techniques and actually helped a lot of the entrepreneurs do just that. And so it came together in a book. And I launched a company in 97 called Gazelles, which I still run today. And we're, we're about 150 plus coaching partners around the world, helping about 2,000 companies at any one time, trying to scale up, which is what we're here to talk about. And, and uh, living in Barcelona, Spain, so just down, just down the road from you. Oh, wow. Awesome. Well, today I'm in London, but uh, normally I am uh, over, the, <laughs> over the pond and over the river into Spain. <laughs> right. And, uh, and Gazelles has grown incredibly phenomenally, right? You have over 100 coaches around the world. It's, you know, it's a serious size of organization to, to keep going in that, in that sort of format. Yeah, yeah. We're trying to, trying to eat our own dog food, Duncan, and scale up. And so you've, you're just, uh, we're talking about scaling up um, the book that you're about to release, and that's come. Uh, yeah, she's out now. She's out she's now. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's come off the back of the Rockefeller Habits, Mastering Rockefeller Habits, which you released uh, just over 10 years ago. And it's a, it's a rework, if I'm right? Yeah, it's a significant update. We've learned a few things in the dozen years since this came out. So we've updated the tools. We've added some tools. And we really kind of expanded more into the – we went deeper with strategy. We added a lot more around the people issues which have really kind of been raging this year here in 2014. And then we bulked up the cash side. 
and I, I, before before when we were talking, I was saying that this is really a, and it even says this in the introduction to the book. This is there's a lot of information in here. It's it's a Snickers bar of uh, of management strategy covering you know the core areas. You've got your people, the strategy, the execution, and the cash, and it it really is a huge amount of data in there. And I think you're very cleverly wired in. Uh, lots of other external resources, so that it's uh, so that if in any one area, without having to go off topic, you can you can keep uh, keep the focus. I mean, across these four areas: people, strategy, execution, cash. I'm assuming that you, that you see some priority within there. Where would you say that organisations who are at the beginning or at the beginning of this growth cycle, where they need to get from uh, from where they've started up and they found some product market fit and need to grow, where's where's the most important part for them to start? You know what? It really is dependent on the organization. Some guys have a great founding uh, startup team, and so they've got the people thing initially taken care of. Others, you've got the lone entrepreneur and even Brad Feld and their process with Techstars. You're not even allowed to come in unless you go find a co-founder, somebody else to, to give you a hand. Uh, some companies have built business models that are fueling themselves, uh, and so they don't have the cash issues. Others are bleeding cash. And we've got to go in and focus on that next. So we really, first thing we do, we have an assessment online. Uh, guys can take for free to figure out, do I need to right where I'm at? Need to focus on people, strategy, execution, or cash next. And by the way, if you're growing, you're going to have issues in all four. But the idea, <laughs> yeah, you are, you know, but the idea is for you to focus. The other thing that's interesting is we've been tracking entrepreneurs globally for the last 10 years in these four categories. And it's amazing how different it is in different parts of the world. China, their real issue was if we just had another trillion dollars of direct foreign investment cash, we could go out and buy up more of the world. Uh, the West has had real issues, you know, Western Europe and the U.S. on strategy because, you know, the epicenter of the economic world kind of moved east of here slightly. Um, India, real execution issues as we've seen and why they've got a new leader in their Modi. Just, just getting stuff shipped, you know, the infrastructure challenges in India make it difficult no matter what your strategy and they got a lot of peop, smart people, it's difficult to execute. So it really is regional uh, also in which one you need to focus on the most next. And the key, the key here really is that the, the businesses do get to a point, and I have, I've experienced this myself in, in businesses that I've been involved with and started up, and they find that the, the sort of the, the characters that bring it, to, bring it to life to get it to the first two years or three years or four years, they get it to a point where they, they just seem to hit a brick wall. Things don't seem to progress beyond uh, the first few million dollars, and they and they struggle. They really find it difficult to figure out. And you know, I'm experiencing this now, and colleagues and other businesses are. And they they, they see this where they go, I, I'm just just not moving forwards. Things are, you know, I, I'm as the business owner, I'm spending too much time doing everything myself, or I haven't got enough people in the right place, or I haven't given out the responsibilities, or I haven't set priorities for everyone to work on, or there's too many priorities, or too few, or no measurement, or or, or so much measurement. And you're right in terms of the in terms of all the different areas. It's definitely uh, subject to each different business. If we were going to look at a, a, in a normal situation, are there any that stand out for you in a, in a regular situation as the, the most common things that people bump into? Well, I, I actually wrote right up front a, a chapter I called the barriers, and there are three that generally are common with any of the companies that are trying to scale up. And in fact, 
folks, uh, Duncan can go to scalingup.com and I offer that chapter for free. You can just download it and take a look at it. And those three barriers are, first and foremost, are you able to grow the leadership fast enough to keep up with the organization? Because that's what happens. The organization outgrows its people. And if you want to 10x the company, you need to 10x the team. You need to 10x their skills. And so it's this ability to develop the existing leadership team to keep up with the opportunities. And then you get above 50, 100 employees, and now you start having middle management issues. And if you just throw bodies at the problem, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a mess. So we, we talk about that leadership development first. Second is, and this is an area that's your expertise, is the ability to build a scalable infrastructure, which really comes down to process. Uh, you know, we get so caught up in these, just getting our functions working. We got sales, and we got marketing, and we have accounting and all that. But, you know, as you know, any of the real work that gets done in a company cuts across those functions. And we have a tool called PACE, the Process Accountability Chart, where we sit down and say, look, what are the four to nine processes that really drive this business? And they're like hallway closets and garages. They, they get junked up pretty quick. And you got one or two choices. Either keep throwing bodies at it. Hey, you know, we're dying here in sales. We need another salesperson. We're dying in operations. So you just keep hiring and it just gets worse. Or you can stop and look at the process, get it designed or redesigned. And normally you can get about twice as much done with half the people uh, if you'll focus on it. But I'm telling you, most growth companies... Uh, don't pay enough attention to the process side of the business. Let's talk, and let's then last, talk, I was going to say, let's talk about that. Comment on that. Yeah, let's talk about that. And one of the things that I think that you uh, that you pull out that's really, really obvious and clear here, in, in both in the leadership and in processes and in making things happen, and, and di I guess diversifying control from from the leadership team or pushing it out a little bit is that this concept of accountability, responsibility, and authority. Which to I don't th I don't think most people understand what they're meant to mean, um, but you define those really really well in, in a way that makes perfect sense, but that most people don't understand. And then this other concept that comes through again and again throughout the book around uh, that managers are not managers; they're coaches. They're there to enable their team. Can we talk about those that a bit? You bet. So let's go back. You know, it's interesting. We, you know, I have an issue with our entire industry. We throw around words like mission, vision, purpose, value, strategy, tactics, goals, and, and no two people have the same definition. And could you imagine any other industry where we didn't have a defined set of terms? We, our, our telecom you know, <laughs> network would, would collapse as a result. And the same thing with those three words, accountability, responsibility, and authority. And, you know, if nothing else, they're spelled differently. And so we ought to think about it differently. So the example I use, and we have this tool called the FACE tool, the Function Accountability Chart, is you just need to be really clear, and it's tough as you start adding people, who's accountable for a particular area, function, or activity. So let me take a specific one, cash. You know, obviously that's critical to all of us that are scaling up. Um, my CFO, Kathleen, has accountability, the ability to count. Her job is to track our cash. She gets me a cash report literally every day. It updates me what came in yesterday, what uh, came out, and what it looks like the next several months. Um, but the authority for cash resides with me. Now, my team has various spending you know, limits that they can go to, but anything significant, uh, I've got the authority, even though Kathleen 
has the accountability. And my team, because we pay attention to that number, all of us, we all have then responsibility, the ability to respond. And so we sign a lot of hotel contracts for the events that we do. And my team knows that we're adamant not paying big upfront deposits because that would be a real drain on our cash before we've got then the event that's going to allow us to collect that cash. So just with cash, it's three different areas. CFO has accountability. I have the big authority. And the rest of my team has responsibility. And it's important for us to understand those differences. Yeah, I mean, it's really key. I mean, you, you make the examples in, in the book as well around how that in a lot of situations, and, this, and it happens with a runaway effect, you, uh, one person says something, maybe they don't mean authority, but the person who gets the accountability for the task immediately thinks, ah, this is, this is mine and I'm going to own it and I'm going to hide it away from the rest of the organization. Um, when in reality, it's just actually you need to, you're the one who's on top of this, who keeps tabs and makes sure that, you know, that whatever is happening is happening or isn't happening uh, in the right way. Yeah, to give it, you know, we, say, we talk about it, to give it voice. You're, the person accountable is not boss, doesn't mean they do it all, know it all. In fact, almost any decision in the world that you're going to make, it's better if you get a lot of people's input. But their job is to scream and scream loud if something's going wrong, in my case, with cash or a process or whatever the case might be. And that's, that's the job of the person who's accountable. And it can only be one person. And then breaking down into defining the sort of the drivers of the organization you say drive you know there's six or seven key things that make an organization move forwards and then define those with some strong KPIs to actually help the organization know a what those things are that drive the organization and then b know actually like a health check as to what's going on I think a lot yeah, of we, did, we have a simple checklist you know Jim Collins who was kind enough to do the forward to my second book and, and it's been a good friend you know said very clearly you've got to get the right butts in the right seats but he didn't give us a list of seats and so we put together <laughs> just a one-page tool that said look I don't care if you're a startup or you're a you know a 50 billion dollar company like when Michael Dell took back Dell these are the fundamental activities that have to happen in every single company and you've got to be clear who's accountable for each one of those and how we're going to measure whether we've had success or not. And it's just a single sheet of paper. So it's not big or complex, but boy, does it help people get clear and see very quickly where they've got holes in the organization that are probably holding them back. And in defining those, those few things, a lot of organizations have a vast array of, uh, of processes, but I'm sure that they can distill them very shortly down to be able to say, well, actually, the key thing that we really need to do is generate revenue, or the key thing that we really need to do is create some, uh, create some efficiency within our supply pipeline. What are the ones that people tend to miss out? Well, and that's what that leads to the third, what I think is critical barrier. And it's very simply, it's marketing, uh, marketing effectiveness. If you look at, you know, you got sales, marketing, operations, IT, HR, you know, the basic functions of a business. I'm telling you that the one that's the weakness is marketing. Uh, in fact, Ed Roberts, uh, our, uh, the senior uh, faculty member at MIT, who did some of the original research in, in high-performing companies, found that as, you know, the difference between a high-performing company and one that wasn't was was there an early key member of the team focused on marketing 
versus you know the technology to build a product or whatever the case was. And what's what's critical is that marketing's needed, Duncan, as much to attract customer, I mean talent, as it is to attract customers. I mean, people think about marketing just on the customer facing side, but you need marketing to attract any of the key relationships, whether they're investors, media that you need attention from, key employees, or you're just hiring folks into your call center and you'd like to get a decent flow of folks that you can choose from, it all comes back to the marketing function. And so we dig into that in that barriers chapter. That definitely makes sense. And if I look at, uh, I was recently talking to this uh, European EMEA sales lead for uh, Stack Exchange, Stack Overflow, uh, Stack Overflow sort of parent company. And they have a seven-stage process for their hiring. So for you to get into that organization to make sure that you have cultural fit and that you also uh, fit with it well within how they, you know, that you have the competencies that they require, they have seven stages. But the only way that they're able to have a seven-stage hiring process in the same way that uh, Microsoft have a four- or five-stage hiring process into their sales team is that they... You know, is that they have great marketing. Everyone knows who they are, and everyone knows that they're a great company, and they do a lot of effort to make sure that before you apply to the company, you can see all of the benefits they have, um, so that when the people, when they get the good talent into that pipeline, uh, and seven stages is a fairly grueling um, <laughs> way to get people in, that they stay in this process, so they actually get out to the other end if they if they're a good fit. Yeah, um, we put forth a number actually. It's an important KPI that. Look, for every open position you have, if you don't get at least 20 high-quality resumes, in other words, a group of at least 20 people that like, wow, I'm going to have a hard time choosing which of these 20, either for my call center, my receptionist, or my CFO, you've already failed. You already have set yourself at a disadvantage. And so that's why the marketing component's important, uh, and particularly guerrilla marketing, because we don't have a lot of money to spend on formal marketing activities, so you've got to be you know, quite clever. And that requires somebody full-time focusing on that, that side of the business. That makes sense. And then another part in your barrier section around leadership is around the complexity of a team and how the, the, the very tiny growing of a team, adding one person, adds the a significant number of layers of complexity. Um, what are the easiest ways for people to pull that complexity apart and simplify things so that when you add the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth member that you're not just getting a 5% incremental increase in productivity? Well, first of all, that's to really consider hard why I need to add that fourth, fifth, or sixth person. I'll tell you a quick story. So we got a client, Nurse Next Door, uh, out of Vancouver, Canada, one of the faster-growing franchises in North America. They're providing nursing, nurse staffing uh, for you know baby boomers like us who have parents that we want to keep out of the nursing home. And so they've been growing you know, quite rapidly. And they had 28 people at their headquarters. And the person that was handling payroll was just buried. You know, they were bringing on all these nurses. And she was working 80-hour weeks and just trying to keep up. And the company was looking at doubling in the next 12 months. So rather than throw more bodies at the problem, which is kind of what we'd have a tendency to do, they brought in a, a lean expert. And a lot of people think lean, the Toyota method, is just for manufacturing, but it has huge impact on the service sides of companies. Long story short, they brought in, revamped the process uh, for how they handle payroll. And literally, in the next 12 months, they doubled the size of the company, yet headquarter team shrunk from 28 people to 22 through natural attrition, and they put a couple others out in the field. 
and their head of payroll. Uh, John DeHart, the CEO, loves to tell the story. She comes into a meeting uh, one week and she goes, look, i got to admit something to you guys. I can't find enough work to keep busy even 20 hours now a week. So here, literally, they're handling twice the business when she, than when she was working 80 hours, and now she can barely keep busy for 20. That literally represents, Duncan, the kind of slop that exists in most of these growth companies that we deal with. And if we can clean that out, then we don't need to add that third, fourth, and, and fifth person. So that's what we want to focus on first. And if I'm right, she was rewarded with taking some time off. She was, yeah. That was, exactly, that was exactly the story, rather than punish her. Because if you punish people for this stuff, they're not going to do it. And so, I mean, the, the lean and the agile thing is something that people are scared about. They hear about the lean startup, which makes sense in terms of uh, getting your product to market. And the, the other, only other seem, seeming extreme in the market, and this is mentioned again, is the, is the Six Sigma approach, where you get uh, into very high detail in a very sort of... Yeah. A little complicated. A little for complicated our for uh, yeah, exactly for an organization who's just getting to the ten or fifteen, twenty people mark. How, how can they apply lean in a in a in a normal sort of sensible way? Well, we've got you know I'll I'll promote here a little bit. We've that's why we did a ninety minute online video with Guy Parsons. Guy is the co-founder of the Lean Institute. He himself ran a twenty million dollar company, so he's one of us, and he really talks in a simple way how we can apply some very simple ideas and tools to get your organization leaned out. And he's adamant, it's not about firing people, it's about kind of cleaning out the waste and the dumb stuff that creeps in uh, to jobs. I'll give an example, so a good buddy of mine, Gene Brown, up in Ireland, uh, running a waste management company. He walks by his assistant one day and she's really busy and he needs her to do something. And he goes, what are you working on? And she goes, well, this spreadsheet. And he goes, what spreadsheet? And it was one that he had asked her to track for about six months, two years prior, when they'd really hit the crisis in Ireland, but had, he hadn't looked at it since. And I don't think a lot of entrepreneurs realize, but their employees are scared of them. Even if you're not scary, they're, they're, they know you're busy, you know, and they don't want to bug you and maybe ask you, hey, do you still need this spreadsheet? They just keep doing this stuff. So he actually set up an initiative for 90 days. It was this theme called Bennett. And he gave everybody in his company, he had about 60 employees at the time, gave everybody permission to bring up what they thought was stupid stuff. And they cleaned out about 25% of everyone's activities and also saved a bunch of money as the result. So you can make it really simple. I, I think it starts with just giving people permission to speak up and say, hey, I think this is a dumb way that we're doing this. And particularly the new employees see stuff, but they're too scared to say anything because they're new. And if you'll just sit down with them 90 days later and say, hey, what do you see we're doing here that doesn't make sense? And they'll go, well, you know, and, and you'll, you'll get her cleaned out. So it's lean's a fairly simple process. One last thing I'd recommend. It's a new book called Scrum, uh, uh, written by the co-founder of Scrum, which you know is at the heart of most software development. But he's really applied it to all of the areas of a business. And its subtitle is How to Get Twice as Much Done with half in Half the Time. And I think literally we can do that in all of our companies. So it's that kind of the, what would Google do for Scrum? Yeah, it, yeah you got it, for sure. In terms of things. Uh, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen that sort of wastage in, in process. I've worked in some quite large, very large corporations where with the, 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 the processes inside are, are so 
um, diluted and so insane that it's it's very difficult to get anything done. And I guess in terms of small businesses taking small initiatives like small rewards, I, the best I had an amazing um, system that a company set up yesterday to deal with the security. They were a finance, I think, organization, and they needed to make sure that everyone was locking up their computers at the, you know, when they weren't at the desk, when they were going to, uh, to the restroom or whatever. And they implemented a very simple system where if you managed to get to uh, someone's computer that was logged in and you sent an email to donuts at companyname.com, mm. the person whose email address it was from had to buy everyone donuts. Had to buy the donuts. <laughs> and I guess that, <laughs> a similar type thing in terms of processes and things that people do on a regular basis to give people permission and encourage them and sort of show that that's possible could be done around this in terms of saying, well, if you just highlight that this is something that's not worth doing, then it's it's uh, then you could get some sort of uh, pat on the back for it in the long run. And it's interesting. Yeah, let's get it on a list on a wall. By the way, your your comment brings up a really sobering statistic. That when I share this, I think it's a wake up call for most small to mid sized companies trying to scale up. You know, uh, usually when I when I meet a CEO, first thing I'll say is, "How many employees do you have?" And the reason I do that is I can almost always multiply times 100,000. I don't care whether it's pounds, euros, dollars. I'll know it almost exactly what the revenue is. You know, the average revenue per employee of a small to mid-sized company is about 100,000. Large companies, two and a half times that, about 250,000 on average. So even though we see these big, large companies as, the, as these bloated, bureaucratic messes, because they normally are better at process, uh, they're able to extract about two and a half times the revenue per employee than we are. And we think we're really lean, mean, and efficient. And so this KPI of revenue per employee is one of the ones on our one-page strategic plan that we get companies to obsess on and really focus on and make sure that they're moving the needle in the right direction. And when they go back and look over the last three or four years, they realize in many cases that that number's actually slipped and headed the wrong direction. And so that's a, that's a key number that we, we get everyone focused on. And your point around actually getting people to talk about problems in, a, in an organization is a very difficult one. If, if I think about most of the people I talk to, and on the large part in the past, it's been founders of businesses, people who are the CEO or you know, were the CEO and have now sort of moved out of the function, but are still still have that origin control or origin uh, ability. And they're very open about talking about the problems in the organization. They're very happy to discuss what is and isn't working. But even in organizations where I'm inside consulting, I've just been working with a client this year to help them bring a technology department inside, the communication internally about things that don't work or people that don't work or systems that don't work is incredibly limiting. People are very scared about how they uh, communicate upwards through through their middle and upper management uh, about things that aren't working. I mean, how if, if you're a business leader sitting here today, how would you say to get people talking and not talking in a way that obviously you're saying well I don't think my colleagues are as good as me and I think they shouldn't be in this organization but in a way that they can actually help be in a constructive way yeah well a couple of things just to comment there you're, you're you know in large companies the issue is politics in our smaller companies the real issue is that we're friends and we don't like to call our friends on the tough stuff. We don't like to hold them accountable. Simple things like we're in a meeting and one of them's on their, their, their smartphone and not paying attention. And if the CEO leader doesn't call them on that, that just begins to kind of 
cause leakage in the organization. But that's where... Well, our, worse, they're doing it themselves, huddle. right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's where the daily huddle comes in. You know, besides the one-page strategic plan that we're well-known for, 40,000 companies using around the world, we're known for this daily huddle. And the reason it's important is if you don't address the little stuff, it's what turns into big stuff. And then the bigger it gets, the harder it is, and the more fearful people are addressing the issues. And the key agenda item, by the way, it's the some, same agenda item that the leadership at Goldman Sachs reviews at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. every day. And that is, where are you stuck? You know, what's in your way of being really productive the next 24 hours? And by getting those stocks out on the table, and by the way, in our Asian cultures, uh, where they're really worried about saving face, we have to kind of nudge them over the hump and get them there. But we can usually in about a year. And once you get the stock starting to flow, then you can see where the constraints are. You can see where the bottlenecks are and you can start to know where to direct your energy. So the very simple routine is this daily huddle and particularly focused on what are the stocks? What's in your way very specifically of being able to move forward? And it's the pattern of those stocks then that really tell you you know, where we need to tackle issues. And this is how you start to get the truth out on the table, which is what you got to do. And that certainly takes the other, I mean, that's definitely the other side of, of, uh, of your book in terms of the, the, the key. You've got a lot of strategy and a lot of way of thinking and how to approach things. And then the other side of it is routine, just establishing things that happen on a regular basis that can be reviewed, that can be seen, that do happen, the rituals within the organization. And I see this within uh, working within software companies and with software engineers. Obviously, they're very familiar with Agile and Scrum, and the daily stand-up is you know, very standardized. Uh, for a most, good reason. For a very good reason, uh, and because, you know, because of the enormous costs that can go wrong in, that, in those areas. But it's, I haven't yet to see it very well applied within some smaller businesses where a daily stand-up within a sales team or a daily stand-up within an operations team or an HR team um, it makes perfect sense. And I, I mean, I do it with my team every morning. We have a daily stand-up. We sit and we talk around what are the things that they can't do because I'm in the way? What are the things that they need to do? And what are the things where they need other people to help them with or they need some need some guidance? Um, you got it. And then you've got the further routines, right? So you've got your monthly routines. You've got your uh, monthly management meetings. You've got your town halls. This can be taken to quite a high level. I remember talking to, uh, and his name escapes me now, which is terrible, but the founder of Sun Microsystems. Um, yeah, Scott McNeely. Scott McNeely. And talking to Scott McNeely, he, one of the things that he really uh, held to core to keep the culture of the organization going was his daily and monthly and weekly meetings where initially it was just him in a small room and then it was him standing on top of a beer keg and then it was him on a video conference across the world. But really kept that going irrespective that to make sure that no matter how big we grow, that we are still communicating, we're still one organization, everyone still feels connected, um, and everyone's going in the right direction. So. Well, in fact, we just reported yesterday at Fortune. You know, we, we named our business person of the year, and I'm the venture columnist there for Fortune magazine. And we, we named Larry Page, you know, CEO of, of Google. And it, didn't it shouldn't have surprised me, but one of his important routines is um, his TGIF, TGIF, or Thank God It's Friday, uh, weekly meeting that he has where he dresses all the employees in Google every single week. Now, they've moved it from Friday to Thursday, but they still call it the TGIF.
want to get this information out before the weekend. But look, you know, there are some fundamental routines that the CEOs of the very best, you know, most modern, you know, run companies still stick to. And this weekly communication to all the employees, whether you got 20 employees or you got 200,000 employees, uh, is critical. And so we, we, as you know, we cover that stuff uh, inside the book. Cool. Excellent. Um, well, okay. Well, thank you very much for your time, Vern. Uh, I think we're just, just heading up to time there. Um, your book's just out, Vern Harnish, uh, author of Scaling Up, How a Few Companies Make It and Why the Rest Don't. Uh, it's available on Amazon, if I'm right. We'll make sure there's some links in there to get it. It is. And I, I think this is really a book that um, that w it, it should be posted by. I mean, in, uh, in Europe, we have to report our numbers centrally. Uh, but it really should be, I think, something that every business leader gets. As soon as they hit a million dollars, this should arrive in the post and it should say, you must read this, please Please read this so that you can take your organizations forwards because it well, really does. Well, anything you the... can do to help us do that, <laughs> I, I absolutely agree with you. And it really would be helpful. Excellent. Thank you very much. You bet. Duncan, thank you.